In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. So today we come to reflect on the Lord, my strength and my praise. He has become to me a sacred salvation. Now, it's interesting because we say He is my strength, right? And we know that Christ is strong. We know that He is the Creator. We know that to Him belongs all power, all authority. But for Christ to be my strength is different, right? Like if somebody over there is strong, how does that benefit me, right? I know that he is strong, but how can I call him my strength, okay? In St. John's Gospel, in chapter 16, verse 33, he says, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. All right, now, I don't know about you, but when I hear Christ say, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world, I'm tempted to think, okay, well, you overcame the world, like, what about me? Like, (laughs) you had the strength to defeat death, and you rose from the dead, you are God by nature, how can you tell me to be of good cheer because of what you have done? Okay? If the strength that we're talking about today is not translated to us, then salvation means absolutely nothing. Okay? I want to meditate on this concept and how we can say the Lord is my strength and my praise, and He became to me a sacred salvation. Okay? St. Cyril says that Christ humbled Himself that he may raise up that which is humble by nature to his own stature. And he put on the form of a servant, although he was by nature Lord and Son, that he might transfer what was servile by nature to the glory of adopted sonship. Right? So he humbled himself to raise us up. And he went to this low position that we may be elevated. Okay? Therefore, he became like us, that is, a human being, that we might become like him. Okay? He became like us, that we might become like him, I mean gods and sons. On the one hand, he accepts what belongs to us, taking it to himself as his own, and on the other hand, he gives us in exchange what belongs to him. How beautiful is that? That there is this exchange. And that's what this whole week is about. This exchange. Christ taking our death to give us His life. Right? Taking our frailties, our weaknesses, to give us His strength. So that what belongs to Him may belong to us. Okay? So the strength that belongs to Him by nature may belong to us by grace. So He chooses to give us all that belongs to Him. And that includes that strength that we say is mine, that we actually proclaim as our own possession. We possess the strength of God Himself. Of course, that's a grace, but this is what Christ came to give us when He was born through His incarnation, throughout His walk on earth, and ultimately in His life-giving sacrifice on the cross. Okay? He even goes to the extent that He says, that greater works than these you will do. 
He tells his disciples that they're, they're going to do greater works than the works that he did. They're going to be just as strong, if not even stronger. That's wild. What do you mean I'm going to do greater works than the works God himself did through Christ? I mean, he healed the sick, cast out the demons, he raised the dead. He rose from the grave. What do you mean I'm going to do greater works than this? Commenting on this, St. Augustine says, Christ says that they'll do greater works than he does himself, but it's all by his doing such works in or by them. So it's his work in or by them. And not as if they they did them of themselves. And so we have the song that is addressed to him, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. But what then are those greater works? Was it that their very shadow, as they themselves passed by, that healed the sick? We know that for Peter and Paul, the shadow of one was healing the sick and the handkerchief of the other was causing demons to be cast out. Right? For it's a mightier thing for a shadow than for the hem of a garment to possess the power of healing. Look at that. Christ transferred the grace of healing to the woman that had the flow of blood for 12 years by contact, right? Now we have like all these precautions and contactless delivery and all that stuff. (laughs) But for the apostles, they didn't need the contact, even the shadow of one was causing demons to be cast out, and renewal and healing for the body and the soul. Okay? And he concludes by saying, the one work was done by Christ himself, the other by them, and yet it was he that did both. So Christ is the one that works both. But it's greater to see that Christ works that very same work through us. So think about this. Okay? God is the source of life, right? Is it a great thing for him to raise the dead? He is the very source of life. But what about when a creature raises the dead? That's much greater, right? So in our frailties, in our weaknesses, and trust me, by nature, we're full of weaknesses. But for us to possess the strength that belongs to God, that's a greater transition, right? So... Think about how somebody who's always investing their time and their energy to get strong. Maybe they're going to the gym every day. Right? How does that person feel after several months or a year of constantly going to the gym and they finally recognize, like, man, I'm getting pretty big. Like, I got the beach bod, I'm looking good, I'm getting strong. They're going to feel happy, Right? They're going to be glad. And so when we recognize the strength that we possess, it naturally produces joy. Okay? And if we see this in a superficial sense, we see this when people are glad about their physical strength. Right? And that's trivial. But what about real strength, the spiritual strength? That now we can identify as our own, the strength of the cross. A strength that 
has power over death itself. Then now that belongs to us. So now we look at the mirror and we're like, I'm pretty strong. <laughs> okay? It's a cause for joy and celebration. And that's why we say, the Lord, my strength, and my praise. He is my praise. He is the reason for my joy. Okay? He is the source of my joy. I don't say that I praise Him, but He Himself is my praise. There's a difference. Okay? He's the source of all praise for me. St. Porphyrius says, Christ is joy. Christ is joy. Not that Christ produces joy or gives joy or translates joy, but Christ is joy. Christ is joy, the true light, happiness. Christ is our hope. Our relation to Christ is love, eros, passion, enthusiasm, longing for the divine. Christ is everything. He's our love. He's the object of our desire. The passionate longing for Christ is a love that cannot be taken away. This is where joy flows from. When you find Christ, you're satisfied. You desire nothing else. You find peace. You become a different person. Christ is in all your thoughts, in all your actions. You have grace, and you can do everything for Christ. Do we really believe that? That when we possess Christ, that we possess everything, that we possess the strength of God Himself, right? Or do we just say, my praise, my strength, without that joy, without recognizing that He Himself is the source of our praise and our joy and our strength? So this isn't theoretical, okay? Once a woman was asking St. Porphyrius why he was happy, and you know St. Porphyrius had a lot of illnesses and uh, some severe, severe illnesses where it would leave him debilitated. Okay? And so this woman asks him, how are you so happy? How are you so joyful? I don't get it. Like nothing about your situation should be a reason to celebrate. So he responded... Read the Holy Scriptures, go to church, have a father of confession, partake of the holy mysteries. In one word, become a good Christian, and then you'll find joy that you're seeking. You see that I'm sick now, but I'm joyful. Thus, you, when you come a bit closer to Christ, you'll find the joy in your life. Okay? And so we might think that this week is about this dark, gloomy sort of feel to it, but it is a week of joy. Repentance causes new life. And when we find this new life, we celebrate. Yesterday, when we meditated on my Lord Jesus Christ, my good Savior, I told you that Jesus and good Savior are connected. Okay, and we're going to talk about these words with the context of salvation. Because Jesus, which is Yeshua, literally means Savior. Okay? Yeshua means Savior. So it's one and the same. Jesus, my good Savior, and today we say He has become to me a sacred salvation. So He is my Savior. He is the source of my salvation. Okay? 
So what does that mean? For you to call someone a savior. For you to call someone your deliverer. That means you need saving. You need deliverance. Right? If someone liberates you, then you are bound. Right? So for you to be liberated, to be delivered, to be saved, means that you are bound. You are in a state of need. And that's what we confess to God throughout our whole walk with Him. That I need a Savior. Right? And none of us would be coming here if we didn't need a Savior. None of us would be coming to the hospital if we weren't sick. I don't know about you, but I never wake up in the morning and say, Hey, I just want to go to the hospital and you know, just hang out. I'm not going to get a checkup. I'm just going to sit there, nobody to visit. <laughs> nobody to talk to, and none of my family are in the hospital. I just want to go and just chill in the hospital. <laughs> nobody does that. But this is a hospital, right? The church is a spiritual hospital. And why would you come here if you weren't spiritually sick? If you weren't struggling? If you weren't battling the sins in your life? So this is our confession of the need for a Savior. Okay, when we call Him Savior, we're saying, I need to be saved. Think about the prophecy we read earlier from Numbers, whenever the people were bit by the serpents. What happened? They were dropping like flies. They were dying. And so, it wasn't until it got that bad that they started crying out for help. Like, we need help. We're dying. Right? And so, a lot of times, we don't really recognize our need until it gets bad. Right? Like the prodigal son took for granted what he had. It wasn't until it got really bad, not just whenever he left, but whenever there was a famine, and he was like at rock bottom, eating the same food of the pigs. Then he's like, okay, I really need to go back. Okay? But here's the irony. Whenever the people were dying from this plague of serpents biting them, how did God give them healing? Did He send something to kill the serpents? Did He eliminate the struggle, the the source of death? No. He gave them life through death. And so He used the very same agent that was killing them, that was harming them, to provide them life to provide healing. And he told Moses, take the serpent, the very same serpent that's killing everyone, and put it on a pole, and anyone who looks at this pole will be healed. How strange is that? Like if I'm Moses and God is telling me this, what do you mean? Like these serpents, the ones that are killing us? How is that going to do anything for us? But that's the cross. And it's by his death that he gave us salvation. And so there's this exchange, right? He takes our death and he gives us life. The same serpents that were causing death were the same serpents that gave life. St. Cyril says, unless he had been afraid, human nature could not have overcome cowardice and been freed from cowardice. Okay, so he was afraid to give us what? Courage. So there's an exchange here. Unless he had experienced grief there would never have been any deliverance from grief. 
He experienced grief, right? Why? So that he could accomplish that exchange and give us joy. Unless he had been troubled and alarmed, no escape from these feelings could have been found. And with regard to every human experience, you'll find exactly the corresponding thing in Christ. Every struggle, every conflict, every pain, any sort of stress, you'll find it in Christ, assumed in Him, so that He could what? Transform it. And give us its replacement. And He says, The passions of His flesh were aroused, not that they might have the upper hand as they do in us, but in order that when aroused they might be thoroughly subdued by the power of the word dwelling in the flesh. So all of these inclinations to complain and to reject God and to fall into those sins were battling against him. But what happened whenever he assumed all of our humanity and our weakness and our frailties? He crushed that so that he can give us victory over that. Okay, and he goes on to say, the nature was thus undergoing a change for the better. Okay, this is what it means to say, he has become to me a sacred salvation. He took all of what is mine. And this is where we got to pause and really think about the areas of our life that Christ is transforming without our notice. Right? All of our sorrows, our pains, all of our disappointments, whatever it may be. Christ went through it all, not just this week, but throughout his whole life. He was rejected, he was disappointed, he was abused, he felt sadness, he felt angry, he felt everything there is to feel. Why? So that during our conflicts, our struggles, whenever we have those feelings, when we're exhausted like today, it's a very long day and all of us are tired. He went through that very same toil of being tired so that He can give us strength. Okay? So, salvation came at this cost. At the cost of God going from here to here. And all of this was for Him to reveal His love for us. Okay? Christ could have just snapped His fingers, at least in a theoretical sense, and give us salvation. We know that the cross was necessary, without a doubt. Right? But, Look at what St. Isaac the Syrian says. Why did God the Word clothe Himself in a body using gentleness and humility in order to bring the world back to His Father? Why? Why did He do all that? And why was He stretched out on the cross for the sake of sinners, handing over His sacred body to suffering on behalf of the world? I myself say that God did all this for no other reason than to make known to the world the love that He has. But the sum of all is that God, the Lord, surrendered His own Son to death on the cross for the fervent love of all creation. He says, it all comes down to this. This is the summary of all of God's work for the sake of His love for us. This was not, however, because He could not have redeemed us in any other way. And again, St. Isaac is speaking theoretically here, although we know that the cross was necessary. But so that His surpassing love manifested hereby might be a teacher unto us. And by the death of His only begotten Son, He made us near to Himself. And listen to this. Yes, if He had had anything more precious, He would have given it to us, so that by it, our race might be His own. 
Christ is the most precious possession to God, His own Son. Right? Yesterday, we celebrated Covenant Thursday, and we saw this as Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. What was more precious to Abraham than Isaac? And so St. Isaac is telling us, if God had anything more precious, He would have given it. But what's more precious than His own life? Okay? This is what salvation is all about. God just wants to sweep us away by His love. And if you're not swept away by His love, nothing will move you. Nothing will inspire you. I can give you all the sermons in the world. I could preach like St. John Chrysostom. <laughs> it's not going to do a single thing. Only God's love has the power to transform. And if we don't open our eyes to recognize it, then how will we love Him? Because St. John says, we love Him because He loved us first. Well, if I don't know that He loved me, or maybe I know, but it's all intellectual, I don't really know deep down within my heart that He really loved me and still loves me, then there's nothing to set that spark in my heart. I don't have fuel to reciprocate that love. St. John Chrysostom meditates on Jesus saying to us, and he kind of puts it in God's own words. He says, I am a father for you, and a brother, a bridegroom, and a home, a nurse, and a dress, a root, and a cornerstone. Whatever you want, I am for you. I don't want you to be in any need. I'll serve you. Because I'm not to be served, but to serve. I'm a friend and a member, and a head, and a brother, and a sister, and a mother. I am everything for you. Only be in contact with me. I've been poor for you, and a wanderer for you. I've been on the cross and in the tomb for you. High above with the Father, I mediate for you. You are everything to me, a brother and a co-heir and a member of my body, what more do you desire? And that's what St. John's meditating when he thinks about the heart of God. It's as if God is asking each and every single one of us, what more do you desire? What's holding you back from pouring out your heart and truly repenting and committing to a spiritual discipline in living a life of joy. It's not like the sense of surrender and humility where I walk around in a gloomy sort of way. No. Humility is joy. Somebody who recognizes that they were just spared from death. Like I remember somebody who was panicking and called me, like, Abuna, I need prayers. Um, they found something that might be cancerous, they're going to do a few more tests. And severely stressed. Gets a call, and they tell him, it was nothing. We ran all the tests. It was just something benign. You don't even need to take it up. And from that moment on, the person was just like, I got a new life. Right? And we see this like in the movies, right? Whenever somebody's crossing the street, and then they're about to get hit by a car. Maybe it's like a girl and this other guy comes and then he pulls her out of the way, he saves her life, and she's like, oh, I love you. You know, you feel indebted. Right? He's like, I owe you my life. You just saved me. Okay? And it's not in this emotional sense. Love isn't an emotion. 
It's not this infatuation like the honeymoon phase. You guys have all seen that, right? Whenever a couple just meet in the beginning and they're all excited, it's all emotional. No. I'm talking about real passion. Real passion produces a relationship. And that's what salvation is all about. Okay? A lot of times we think of salvation as a destination. Alright? And I just want to leave you with this final thought. Whenever we say that He has become to me a sacred salvation, what we're saying is, He's not just a destination that I'm attending to reach. It's not just something I'm reaching for. A lot of times we say, I'm living to make it to heaven. What's your goal? To get to heaven. You ever heard the phrase, it's not about the destination, it's about the journey? Well, that's as orthodox as it gets for salvation. <laughs> okay? Father Anthony Kinier says, salvation for orthodox Christians involves a relationship. A personal relationship with Jesus who is the door to the Trinity. This relationship takes place in the church. The relationships we know are fragile. And listen to how he describes our relationship with God should look like. He says relationships are fragile. They have their ups and downs. We need to work on them constantly to keep them in constant good repair. The psalmist illustrates this and how he loved God. He praises God, but often he gets angry with God and tells him off, but then he comes back to him and asks for forgiveness. Like There's a real relationship, right? There's a real heart that goes into it. It's not just this phony, sort of robotic, going through emotions. The same way you would actually be upset with a friend, and you could struggle with God and complain, and you could thank Him, and you can praise Him, and you can beg Him to work on the situations that are challenging in your life. There's a dynamic component to it. That's salvation. If there's no relationship, there is no salvation. Okay? It's as simple as that. If we're not conversing with Him, if we're not reading our Bible, can we really say that we have a relationship with Him? Right? Imagine a married couple, and you ask them, hey, how's, how's the marriage? How's it going? Oh, it's good. Just, I had a good conversation with my wife last week. I haven't talked to her since. It's been great. <laughs> Although some married couple might actually like that sort of marriage, but... That's no real relationship, right? So what sort of relationship can we expect to have or the relationship we claim to have with God and we say, yes, I'm in the Orthodox Church, I know what salvation is all about, but we don't really talk. <laughs> Father Anthony Canieris quotes Ali Weasel and how he puts it in the sense of this relationship that he said, I quarrel with God Fight with Him, make up with Him, but I'm never without Him. This is what relationships are all about. Okay? Abba Sizoas on his deathbed, who was a big saint, had all of the angels and Saint Anthony himself come to visit him as his soul was departing. And so, he's talking to them and his disciples sitting right next to him see him greeting the angelic hosts. And then you see that he's like a little disturbed. And then he asks him 
you know, please give me a little bit of time. Give me a little bit of time to repent. And then the disciples ask him, who are you talking to? Why are you asking for more time to repent? And his face on his deathbed is glowing. And so he turns to them, he says, truly, I do not know if I have even made a beginning. And then his face shined even brighter. A lot of times we think, okay, Holy Week is like our spiritual, <laughs> our spiritual high, and after this we're going to have an exciting night tomorrow, and then what happens to our spiritual life? We tend to relax, right? But I want you to remember that a relationship requires work, and as much as we are in love with our bridegroom, with Christ, and we will continue to cultivate that relationship and to glorify Him. And to Him is due all glory forever. Amen.